Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Everybody and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt, and I'm hoping the Mirror Universe version of my good friend Andrew doesn't uh, stab me in the back during the podcast. Uh, so if you hear any commotion, uh, you'll know that that's Andrew vying for control. Andrew, how are you doing? Yeah, I mean, you should have probably predicted it just based on the fact that I've got this nice goatee on the go. For this week's podcast, uh, you know, you didn't even blink an eye. You just uh, thought everything was normal. And, uh, you know, I, I, if this was Star Trek Discovery, we probably would have taken, you know, 10, 15 minutes maybe to do a slow reveal as to something that everybody knows. Uh, but uh, here on RTR, we just get right down to business. I also didn't notice a dagger strapped to your uh, belt there, <laughs> so... Uh... My, my own fault uh, for not noticing some obvious signs that we are in the mirror universe. Uh, however, uh, at the end of the last podcast, we weren't quite in the mirror universe. Uh, so let's start, as we often do, by going back to the end. And uh, Andrew, you can tell me how I did with my uh, what I could remember from this episode and then give me a rating out of five Vulcan data modules. Yeah, so uh, you had the you're right on, on on the point for this one. You knew that it was the first of the Mirror Universe uh, episodes, and that they had have accidentally entered the Mirror Universe unwittingly. So that gets revealed in the teaser. Uh, you got some of this a little jumbled. You thought this was the one where Lorca uh, is revealed to be evil, and the the Mirror Lorca. Spoiler alert for season one. Uh, and that he had conspired to get there. There's a little bit of foreshadowing at this point. So when he's kind of discussing that him and Stamets were working on something, it, it's a little bit foreshadowy, but I don't know that I can necessarily give that to you. I think that's revealed a little bit later on. And I think that, I mean, you said that Michael Burnham was going to kind of play a major factor and, and that there was going to be something for her to do in it. But, I mean, that's that's a gimme point at this point. Yeah, you're... You're there, but the Star Trek Discovery just doesn't seem to be your bag, man. Every time that it comes up, it seems to to be your episode, and I, I think you're only going to get two out of five Vulcan data modules this time round. Um, I think you probably would have done better than me. Uh, the fact that you got this is uh, is pretty good, I think, or maybe you disagree. I don't know. Maybe there are some fans out there that disagree. Uh, if you don't, or maybe you don't even think he deserves that much. Maybe you think he's guessing. And uh, either way, you should message in and say what you think Matt should have got out of uh, five Vulcan data chips. I would never guess, ever. I always know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, I guess two out of five could be worse, uh, especially for Star Trek Discovery, which is not my favorite uh, incarnation of Star Trek. Uh, but uh, that's where we will be for this podcast. So this is from the first season of Star Trek Discovery. It's episode number 10. It originally aired on January 7th, 2018, 
It guest stars Wilson Cruz as Hugh Culber, Mary Chiefo as Laurel, and Sam Vartholomios as Danby Connor. If I butchered that, I apologize. That's a mouthful. Uh, it's written by Sean Cochran and directed by Jonathan Frakes. And just in case you didn't get a chance to, uh, to tune in to Discovery in the last two weeks, uh, I'll give you a quick synopsis. A spore drive malfunction leaves the USS Discovery in a strange place where nothing seems right. Saru confirms the quantum signature is different and Lorca theorizes that they are in a parallel universe. Tyler retrieves a data core from a nearby Klingon wreckage and they learn that they are in the mirror universe ruled by the bloodthirsty Terran Empire. Tyler confronts Laurel in the Discovery Brig, and she speaks to him in Klingon, and he has flashbacks not only of his torture, but also surgery. Tyler puts Laurel back into her cell and is very confused about what just happened to him. The crew, uh, or I mean Michael Burnham, analyzes the data core, which turns out to be Vulcan, and fashions new uniforms to blend in and plan to return to their own universe the same way that the USS Defiant stumbled into the mirror universe several years earlier. Tyler goes to Culber, suspecting that something is wrong with him. After Culber performs some deeper scans on Tyler, he discovers that his body has been drastically altered. Tyler suddenly lashes out at Culber and breaks his neck. The Discovery, now under the command of Captain Tilly, summons the ISS Shenzhou. When it arrives, Burnham returns to the ship that she formerly commanded, bringing Lorca as a prisoner to search for information about the Defiant. She manages to fight off Connor, the new captain of the Shenzhou, and solidifies her place as captain. Meanwhile, below decks, Lorca rides in pain in an agonizer booth. Okay, now there was a bit of a break between this episode and the previous one. It was eight weeks, and I guess uh, in the first season they divided the the episodes into two chapters, so we had to wait a little while for this one. Uh, Andrew, were you struggling with that? Well, I didn't love the beginning of Star Trek Discovery, um, especially the the big kind of season premiere didn't really rub me the right way. I didn't like the Klingon stuff. I thought that it was a little bit... I, I can't even really remember exactly what it was, but just I felt that it wasn't really going anywhere. It, it kind of seemed to be just going in circles. Burnham was a mutineer, and then she was off the ship, and now she's back, and we got this spore drive, and it was all kind of zany. And I remember during this eight-week break, they had released that Jonathan Frakes was going to direct this one, and I think it was alluded to, or it was already out, that this was going to be the Mirror Universe, or anybody with half of a sense could kind of piece together that this was going to be the mirror universe and my thought was was this this is going to be what turns it around this is going to be the episode where we really get some interesting stuff and we're going to see the mirror universe from like an era not much far away from mirror mirror and this is really going to be the time that we can sink our teeth into it and so this eight weeks i wouldn't say is like it wasn't like fingernail chewing or it definitely wasn't like uh you know best of both worlds or anything but there was definitely some excitement leading into this second half especially since this was what episode 10 so i feel like we were only coming back for a really short period of time and so i i, I my my memory was was that this was an exciting time because uh, this was going to be kind of like when the season changed yeah i think i do remember knowing being able to figure out that, yeah, they're going to the mirror universe. And I thought that that might make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I was sort of in the same boat. I wasn't like sitting around like 
be pulling my hair out every week being like where's discovery where's discovery so um it was it was certainly a lot more bearable than some of the other long uh, breaks we had uh, between seasons in other Star Trek series. Yeah, I don't think that Discover really understands how to do a cliffhanger because there was this one where, you know, they 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 warp away or they spore drive away and it's so obvious that it's the mirror universe and then at the end of season 1 like the Enterprise shows up and it's kind of it's exciting, but it's still kind of like you know what's going to happen. And then with the last one, it's like the Red Angel thing. They go through the wormhole. It's like you kind of know where it's going to go. Like I don't think they really grasp the idea that there has to be some sort of stakes involved. Like it's not really a cliffhanger just to go someplace different or have somebody show up. It needs to kind of be a little bit more depth. There needs to be like somebody shows up and you're like, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it was that person, right? Or, you know, it has to be a little bit more shocking in a way. And I don't know that they've ever really nailed that uh, for me. Uh, No, not really. None of them compare to really any of the other ones that we've seen that they usually end the seasons with. So yeah, no, it's, it's been underwhelming sort of how they leave the seasons and how they make you want more. Yeah, now, I mean, I guess the rumor was, or I think the showrunners have even said, that they wanted to go to the Mirror Universe much earlier, and because of, I guess, they didn't want to confuse the audience or they didn't want to maybe kind of blow their wad, as it were, with the Mirror Universe, they ended up going much later. Do you think that they maybe should have just done the entire thing in the mirror universe and that would have been the reveal that it was actually the mirror universe all along or you know halfway through they went back to the regular universe this to me is a little bit too obvious well the reason they didn't want to go to the mirror universe they wanted to go in like the third or fourth episode and they're like well how are we gonna how like if we don't establish the characters then we go to the mirror universe and everything's different like how are they like it's, it's not nearly as effective right versus where if you already have the characters at least somewhat established when they go to the mirror universe and everything is like turned upside down it it makes a little more sense and a little more impactful which i think would be pretty obvious (laughs) well yeah exactly and i mean i think the reality of it is is that that's the joke right every time that we've seen the mirror universe like mirror mirror i feel like it's season two or three they've already established what the characters are like uh in a mirror darkly was the fourth season of enterprise uh even when they did it in deep space nine it was like the joke is oh look there's cisco but he's evil oh look there's captain kirk but he's evil right like if you don't establish it it doesn't really make sense so i mean i do kind of get that and i guess my idea of maybe starting in the mirror universe wouldn't really make sense because then everybody would have to be killing one another and evil and i guess that would be maybe too obvious that it was not right or something was awry there was a bit of a the producers wanted Colbert like they planned I think pretty early on to kill him but they also number one they didn't want it to be permanent and number two they they didn't want it to be just because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time like they wanted it to be for a good reason and so they're like well why don't we make it because he like figures something out before everyone else that's you know a bad thing and so this was sort of their solution to that whole conundrum of like wanting him to be killed for a good reason i guess yeah i really hate culber's death i feel like they again this is the most discovery thing about discovery 
And I, I feel like I said that exact same line when we talked about Discovery the first time that you pulled an episode, but they always tend to bite their nose off despite their face. So in this episode, they are going to make Culber seem like a really interesting, really smart doctor. He's using his medical knowledge and all this experience and research in order to figure it all out. Uh, he seems to kind of have the best understanding of what's happening with Stamets, and he's kind of butting up against Lorca. And it's like, wow, this character is really getting interesting all of a sudden. Oh, he's dead. Like that is Discovery in a nutshell. You know, like they, they can't really understand that... You know, you have to let characters do these things so that we like them, like without having it selling the, the death. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was how I felt anyway. I remember not liking this. And then when I watched it again this time, I, re I was like, oh, yep, that was horrible. Like, definitely shouldn't have done that. Well, it seems like if you're not one of the main, like, five characters, as soon as they put any attention on you whatsoever beyond just, like, a shocked facial expression or like one-liners on the bridge like you're gonna get killed like that's the way it seems to be you'll remember early on there was that like security officer who was like he was she was in that i think her name was like landry or something she was in like in the one episode where she was in she was in it quite a bit and then she gets like brutally uh killed by the the tardigrade you know, and then there's this thing with, with Culber. We get an episode where he's pretty prominent and all of a sudden his neck gets broken. We saw it with Arium in the second season where she was basically ignored for the entire series. And then we get like this whole thing about, you know, who Arium is and what she's all about. And then she gets jettisoned into space. Uh, Connor as well. He was in the first episode and was really important and they killed him off. And then in this episode, we're supposed to care that he's back. Yeah, I, I, I totally with you. I think that it, it's way too obvious, right? Well, and I think they're just way too trigger happy with killing characters. I mean, they get a great actress in Michelle Yeoh and to play this play Giorgio and they kill her in the first episode yeah definitely I there's not been a single death on Discovery that has really resonated with me or felt like it was worth it and I, I know that you also kind of mentioned that you know they didn't really want this to be permanent this was just going to be kind of a temporary thing and to me it's kind of like if you're going to do that then just bring them back in the next episode or in two episodes from now it was so convoluted how they get him back and they had to go through so many hoops and loops and jumps that there's no way, there's no way, zero way that that was what they had originally planned. That they, he was going to be in this spore world and then they're going to trap the ship there and then they're going to bring him back and then he's going to be the same. Like there is zero chance that that was talked about during season one. And all this stuff that we're reading about now is totally like revisionist history. Like, oh, no, no, no. Like we, we were going to bring him back. Like definitely we were going to bring him back. Like no chance. I, I disagree, I guess, with <laughs> that statement. Well, why kill him at all? Why not yeah. just figure out some other way around it that... He can figure out Tyler's thing and somehow Tyler, like, you know, shuts him up. Like, Oh, beats him up and puts him in a coma or something. And then there's kind of a ticking exactly. clock of like, oh, Culber knows like once he wakes up, but he's like the best doctor. So, you know, they have to bring in the second tier doctor to work on him. And, you know, like if only he would wake up, then we'd know that it's actually Tyler that's evil. But he's in a coma and oh, no, like that would be kind of a bit more tension. I think it would work better for me anyway. And then you could just, whenever you want to bring him back, just have him wake up. Or, you know, he wakes up and he doesn't remember because he's got head trauma or something. 
Yeah, exactly. They don't, you know, they don't have to snap his neck just for the hell of it. I, I, I don't know. They, I think they are way too trigger happy with the old death of characters on this uh, on this show. Um, now, one last kind of little thing that I thought I would throw out here because I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, that that scene where uh, Lorca adopts the, the Scottish accent to kind of disguise his voice. I think a lot of people felt like that was supposed to be like an homage to Scotty. And I think maybe it was, but it was also supposed to be funny. Like they put it in there because they thought it would be funny to have Jason Isaacs doing a Scottish accent. You know what? One thing that I, I one reason why I want to go back and watch season one again is because of Jason Isaacs. And I, I don't know, I, you're kind of implying maybe that you didn't think it was funny, but I actually really liked that bit. Uh, in terms of the funny parts of the episode, I would say that this is is probably one of them. I think that Lork is the most interesting character. He tend, He has kind of that abrasiveness about him that is like kind of fascinating to watch in a way. I really hate that he ends up being like the mystery mirror evil version of himself and all that crap. But here it's like, man, he does chew the scenery. And then this little kind of thing was kind of funny. It's, it's a shame they didn't have him for longer because I, I actually kind of like Lorca a lot, uh, more so than I remembered. So, uh, yeah, for me, this, this is working and I actually didn't mind it. Did you think it was kind of stupid? It's not that I didn't think it was funny. I just thought it was interesting that the that the writers and the producers put it in there intentionally to be funny. Because it seemed to me when I watched it that it was more supposed to be like he's kind of paying homage to Scotty. Okay, yeah. I, I could see it both ways. It did come across as kind of funny. Because, I mean, Lorca's... Or uh, Jason Isaacs, like he 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 did a pretty nice, pretty good Scottish accent. Right. So here's the thing, right? Like... He's he's English, right? Jason Isaacs, he's British, um, and so if he if it was like me doing a Scottish accent, then I would say, oh yeah, that's like trying to be funny because it's like, oh, he can't do it, right? But the thing was, like, it was spot on, like it, that is a perfect cover, right? When they were like, oh, you're gonna have to disguise your voice, and he starts talking in a Scottish accent, it's like, oh my goodness gracious, like if you had told me like, oh, he's actually Scottish, I would believe it. Like he nailed that accent, and so. To me, that's not really funny. It's like, wow, that's impressive that this dude can do a Scottish accent that well. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it did. It came off pretty well, I thought. All right, let's dive into this, uh, even though we may be a bit reluctant. Uh, so right off the bat, there's this mystery. Everything's different. Nothing seems right. They're in this alternate universe, so they're not immediately aware of it. I wrote down lame mystery. Uh, how do you? How would you characterize the sort of mystery they find themselves in? I said, could they possibly have drug out the mirror universe reveal any longer? Because this <laughs> is... I didn't time it. I maybe should have. But this felt like an hour of like... The sensors are showing something different. All the planets are same, but something is awry. Our sensors are backwards. What? What's going on? Everything seems slightly different. It's like, okay, guys, we get it. You're in the mirror universe. Like, I know that the characters need to come to the reveal, but like, there's this super long buildup. And then right before they hit the credits, somebody's like, 
this isn't our universe. It's like, oh my goodness. Like you put it, might as well put it right on the trailer next time and just be done with it. Yeah. It was ultimately Saru who said something about the quantum signature was wrong. And they're like, but that's impossible. And then of course, Lorca's like, oh, we must be in a parallel universe. And I thought it was interesting that he, he, now I knew, we know after the fact having watched the whole season that he's from the mirror universe. So he knows what's going on. I thought there were some interesting clues that we got from him. And that was one of them that he almost immediately suggested like, Oh, he must be in an alternate universe. Yeah. You definitely, you know, like if, uh, you know, if, if we, you and I went on a road trip and we like got lost and then, you know, you were planning on killing me and we went off into like some like wooded Glen and you're like, Oh no, this is like, you know, this is like such and such arboretum. I'd be like, wait a minute. I thought we were all lost here. You know, like, uh, wouldn't you be a little suspicious uh, that uh, he seems to know everything about it and that he's, yeah, like the clues are a little bonk bonk on the head. And I know that there are some ones later that are like quite literally eye rolling, but yeah, that it's, it is kind of a weird thing that he, but I guess I, I, if I want to give some credit because I don't want this to be just a slam fest, but um, he does say that he was working with Stamets on some kind of alternate universe, mirror universe stuff, uh, but they weren't going to put it into effect until later. So maybe that's the reason, like that's he's interested in that kind of stuff, maybe. Well, I think that's how he, they sort of get away with it without it being super obvious. We can get back to some clues in a moment. I just want to go to a sort of a sidebar here. Now, there's that that little uh, mini staff meeting in the ready room. And they did something in there that drives me nuts about this show. They do the old spinorama where the camera's like going around all the people. I don't understand why they always want to do this. They think it looks cool, but it drives me crazy too. Uh, there's a lot of things actually. I mean, this revolving staff meeting, there's two things I don't like about it. The first is that they're doing that revolving, I don't even know what that camera move is called, but also it's, it's so like nattery the way that people are talking because you have to have somebody say something every time the camera comes around. It just kind of has like, it's not a conversation. It's just kind of talking at each other. And it's so hard to follow. Like for me, I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what they're talking about in that. It's just a bunch of random sciencey sounding words just spit at each other across a table while this thing like spins. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost like imagine you had to go watch this episode on one of those, um, like at the fair where you get strapped onto the thing and it just spins so fast, you suck <laughs> the against the, the wall. The tilt-a-whirl. Yeah, the tilt-a-whirl. It's like take an iPad down to the the fall fair and watch it on a tilt-a-whirl. Uh, that's like what this feels like to me. Not only that, like there's the the whole thing with Tyler, and uh, there's like Tribble on the desk of Lorca's mm, office when yep. they're doing that thing, and it's like that was such a good clue because Kling, remember Tribbles hate Klingons, so you know Tyler could have came in and the Tribble could have started going off. And then we'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And later on, oh, geez, you know, it's because he's got a Klingon blood, you know. Um, and they don't even do that. Yeah, it's funny. I actually watched the, the Tribble episode not too long ago. So, yeah, yeah, that would have been a nice way to kind of tip off the whole Tyler thing. Um, yeah, that, that staff meeting, I, you're right about, and I never really noticed it before, but now that you mention it, that, yeah, they're always, like, 
shooting back and forth really quickly at each other as the camera is like spinning around it does not work like that's it's funny i was i was reading on reddit today just today that like the staff meeting the trope that is like essential to star trek is completely lost on discovery they've never they they never have those like full blown you know senior staff meetings in the in the conference room it's always right. just like two or three people in the captain's ready room figuring out what to do they don't seem to get it right no. uh, the whole thing with star trek and it's the most important thing is that the captain is not some super genius who knows everything and is the best at everything and is superhuman right the whole thing about star trek is that the captain is just an excellent manager of people and the whole idea of the staff room is that you're going to bring in the best engineer you're going to bring in the best doctor you're going to bring in the best statistician you're going to bring in the best warrior and rather than have the captain just decide everything he's going to go ask every person individually to give in their little piece of information and then take all of that and decide what's best for the ship and you know what sometimes it might not go Worf's way it might not go the way that the doctor wants but He's the captain. They make the choice. Discovery just doesn't understand what that is. It just turns into these like little nattery, almost like uh, high school level bickering all the time. And they just don't seem to appreciate how important that is to Star Trek. That this whole, the staff meeting isn't just getting exposition. It's all about the structure that we all know and love. Yeah, it's brutal. I, I wish that they would... Uh you know, do a little better job of uh, getting input from different perspectives instead of gathering in a room and waiting for five minutes until Michael Burnham figures out what to do and she just tells everyone else, you know? <laughs> I'm actually going to move into something a little bit more positive. I think that Lorca is great. I think that he's probably the best part of that little staff meeting, even though it's terrible. I just love how slimy he is. I love how abrasive he is. I love that he has a tension that goes along with him that you just never see in this series at all. Um, I think that it's actually a real shame maybe that uh, we lost him after season one because I think he could have been great. I think that it might have been a better idea to have him just be the captain and just run with Jason Isaacs. That's kind of my personal thought. What are your opinions on, on Lorca, Matt? Well, when at the end of season one, I certainly thought that he was one of the more interesting characters and it was... Uh, you know, I was pretty disappointed when he like plunged to his spectacular death in the last Mirror Universe episode. But yeah, I, I always f I found him to be a bit interesting because he was not your traditional Star Trek captain. He was sort of a get it get it done at all costs kind of character. He wasn't particularly diplomatic. He was a bit more abrasive than what we've seen. And uh, yeah, I, I thought he was probably one of the better characters in season one. So one thing that I cannot stand about this series is that the chain of command is completely irrelevant. In every captain they've brought in, with the exception of maybe Lorca, every captain, Georgiou, Pike, Saru when he's captain, uh, anybody else, the Admiral, what's her name, in, in the second season, the, the captain are so soft and they are so middle manager-y that like Burnham always overrides them or Tilly goes against what they're supposed to be doing or nobody's listening. They're so soft and it drives me absolutely crazy. 
Uh, Lorca, to me at least, is somebody that's like, yeah, you're not going to mess with that guy. Like, if he tells you to do something, you just do it because you know that if you don't, he's probably going to like come at you. And that is so sorely missing. It is. It, it's. It's actually kind of painful to watch other captains on Discovery. Lorca's really the only one that I I can can even believably see as a captain. Well, there's a, a let, let me ask you this. I mean, there's the scene with him and, and Dr. Culber where they're talking about, you know, who's going to look after Stamets. Do you think that if Culber stood up to like Saru or... Oh, Saru would cave in a second. Or Cornwell, like do you, about who should be taking care of Stamets. Do you think that, that they would uh, go back at him the way Lorca did? I think if this scene is done with anybody else, Saru, Pike, Cornwall anybody even Georgiou Culper would be like eh whatever be quiet I'm just going to keep doing it and they'd be like oh okay well if that's what you think Lorca he's like oh you don't want to do it eh well guess what you're not doing it and if you don't like it you're going to be out and I I appreciate that man I like that a lot better and and I think that we're supposed to kind of be sympathizing with Culber here like we, we we're supposed to side with him but I, I'm not I'm like yeah Lorca's right you shouldn't be doing medical procedures on like your loved ones, especially in a scenario where there's how many doctors working here. Like I'm with Lorca and I also kind of feel like, you know what? He's the captain. You're the underling. What he says goes and you don't like it too bad. I thought it was a great, great scene. I mean, Culber, this was an episode that I really thought was very, a really good one for, for Culber. I mean, I thought it was, you know, understandable that he would kind of stand up for what he believed thinking that he was, you know, I'm the best doctor on the ship, I should be looking after him, even though he has, like, an inherent, uh, you know, bias in this situation. But, I mean, I, I, at sort of like a intellectual level, I mean, Lorca is probably in the right here. That his, you know, his judgment is going to be, isn't going to be totally objective, and there are other doctors on the ship that are perfectly capable of, of looking after Stamets. But I, I thought it was a really good scene because there was a pretty high level of tension, and I thought that the, both the actors did a pretty pretty good job with it. This was the best stuff in the episode for me. I, I loved this this tension, this abrasiveness, uh, I, even just the fact that they have differing opinions, and you can decide which one you want to be on. Oh yeah, I don't. I totally agree with you about that. Now let's move on to a let's do a one eighty here and talk about Tyler. Oh, this, please not. <laughs> this this whole thing with him was just so lame. I, I really had a hard time with this. So first there's him on the worker B thing where he's uh, trying to get that data module and he's like having all these problems focusing and he's losing his concentration and all this. And it's very obvious that something's wrong with him, but they're just like, ah, just continue anyways i mean if you screw up well we're not going to know what's what's going on here so but it's okay they they couldn't have sent anybody else well exactly yeah and then there's the scene with laurel which i just found awkward and then there was a scene after that with burnham which was like even worse like it was just so so lame i couldn't i i really uh, tyler was the one character in this season that i was just like oh what is, what is what is wrong with this guy? Like he's it was I just felt like he was such a lame character. Uh, well, a couple of things here, um, and I don't want to speak for you, but 
many moons ago, Matt and I, uh, when we were in college, we were we were keen to you know some cheesy horror movies. And and I mean, Matt, you can agree that you know over the years we've seen a lot of gore and uh, slasher movies where you know people's intestines get ripped out. And there's lots of zombie movies too. Zombie movies, you know, people's like throats getting slit i mean we've even kind of gone and and find like uh you know not amateur movies but kind of like b, uh, b and c list b c level movies whether the gore is like next level gruesome and cheesy um for me personally the, the torture here is too much and that is somebody who i watch a lot of horror movies you know that doesn't bother me the blood the guts but the way that this is done just gets under my skin and I can't tell whether it's like so amazingly done that it's that it's it's doing that to me or if it's just the fact that it's in a Star Trek episode and it's not really in line with what I want from Star Trek it's too much whenever it comes on and they're showing the the bones are getting lengthened out and you know they had to he was raped a bunch of times and and all this stuff is psychologically tortured it's like too much for me man it's pretty close it, it's pretty close. Like, it's pretty graphic. Uh, and I think you sort of have already... I, I think for me, it's kind of the same as, like, it, it maybe is not Star Trekian enough, right? Like, this isn't something that you would expect or necessarily even want from a Star Trek episode. At least I wouldn't. Um, I think just as much... Just because you're not really expecting it. Like, it's supposed to be a more intellectual show, I guess, where it's, you know, you're you're not... They're not trying to sell you on the, you know, the blood and guts. See, and, and to me, it just screams of Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, you know, the, the, the super gruesome stuff that you get in those shows. Like, I, I, that's as far as, I mean, again, I can't really speak to it that much because I haven't seen it. But the one thing I do know is, is that it's very violent and very gruesome and gory and shocking. And I think that's what this is supposed to be. And it just doesn't land. No, I, I don't think it it's something that I would really want in a, in a Star Trek episode. The whole thing about Tyler's body being transformed, like that really stretches what's believable for me. Like I, I have a really hard time believing that the Klingons had the medical expertise on human anatomy at that time. And that level of medical technology to completely transform the body of someone from one species which by the way is known for having like redundant everything right so you're telling me that you went from having two hearts to one heart from having two livers to one liver right i have a really really hard time believing that because the klingons are not exactly renowned for their like medical wizardry it's, yeah it's just it's hard to believe that they would be capable of doing that it's also like was anybody surprised by this by the time it gets revealed, it wasn't choreographed well enough. It wasn't hidden. The clues weren't sophisticated enough. By the time that this gets revealed, were you, I mean, not this watch, but originally, were you like, oh my goodness, it was actually, I don't even remember what the guy's name was. Tyler was actually... Vok. Vok, yeah. Did you, were you surprised by this or not? Well, no, I read about it online because they, they didn't really handle it very well. <laughs> like, cause remember there was that whole thing where they, when Vok was on the screen, the actor was like, it was a different name, but oh, it was like yes. totally, 
it was very easy to tie it to the actor who right. played Tyler. Like they didn't, right. they didn't go about it. Like it was, they used like his father's name or something. Right. And then everybody was like, that guy's not an actor. Oh wait, it's actually this guy's dad. He's probably going to play both characters. Exactly. I do remember that. It was spoiled. Yeah. They, yeah, they didn't cover it up very well. So no, I wasn't surprised at all. I was just waiting for it to happen. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And I don't really think that the reveal here, this is actually an interesting episode that we picked. They reveal a lot of big things in this one particular episode, but this was one that it was just kind of like, I roll next. All right. One quick thing that I thought was kind of convenient for them to use was that the Terran Empire is like the perfect analogy for what was happening in the U.S. politically at that time. And I guess we're still kind of seeing sort of the end of it now. It's a, I guess it's an analogy for what they think the U.S. could have become, right? So, because, you know, the Terran Empire was this very xenophobic, totalitarian kind of regime. And I guess they, you know, it's kind of an analogy for what Trump maybe could have become or was arguably aspiring to become. So I think it was very convenient kind of analogy for them to work with. Yeah, and that's fine because, I mean, they've always done that, right? I mean, the Klingons, were they not supposed to be the Russians during the Cold War? And, you know, they, they've always kind of had this, like, underlying political thing. I don't know that it's necessarily on the nose enough. I almost kind of feel like by the time it gets revealed that the Terran Empire is actually run by Mir Giorgio, it doesn't really scream to me like like a Trump type scenario, they almost could have made it maybe somebody who was famous for other reasons. And then they became the Terran empire leader. And, you know, they were trying to get all the non Terrans out of the galaxy and they were going to build a wall. And like, they could have maybe made it a little bit more on the nose for it to maybe sink in. I think that to just kind of paint it with a brush of like, yep, look at how bad this is. I don't know that it, works necessarily for me personally um i i can totally see it now that you're saying it i just don't know that i necessarily i don't know that i like it i kind of like better when star trek shows the positive side of things and then we can appreciate the bad stuff not happening rather than being like yeah look how bad this is that to me seems a bit lesser all right i don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because we've talked about this before but how annoying was tilly in this <laughs> where where they find out that she's actually the captain of the discovery in this universe and she has to pose as the captain i mean i was like if i had any hair left i would not have had any by the end of this episode because it was just so annoying captain cringe <laughs> yeah Pretty i much. You know what? It's kind of interesting, though, because I kind of think that I like Tilly a little bit more season one than I do season two. I think season two, they dialed her up to 11. At least here, she has at least a little bit of timidness, and she's really uncertain about herself, which I think fits the character a lot better than what we see in the future, where she becomes like super overconfident and is just like super Tilly. And is going to join the command training program? I think that this is decent i think that it is a good idea the execution is probably the part that i don't necessarily like um i i anywhere else and this would be great 
I think. That's the worst part about it, right? If if I told you there was like an episode of Deep Space Nine where they show up and Kira is actually the evil person. Oh, wait, they did do that and it was way better than this. Um, but I think that it's like, it's just, oh, I don't know. Like you just, you can't use that annoying of a character for that kind of a role. If you actually stop and think about it, it's like Major Kira is evil. Excellent. Spock is evil. Excellent. You know, Hoshi is evil. Excellent. Worf. Worf is evil. They just can't, you just can't use this character for it. Like, it just doesn't work. I don't know. Like, the whole thing is that we want to see the evil person, the evil version of somebody that we love. It doesn't work when you take somebody we hate. (laughs) I guess that's true. Yeah. I don't know. I just, some, I I get what you're saying about how it kind of makes, like, some of the awkwardness kind of makes sense because she is a cadet at this point and maybe isn't going to have the confidence to be able to have someone say, Oh, by the way, you have to act like the captain now. Um, but it was just, uh, I, I mean, if they were trying to make it awkward, they did an excellent job. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's what they were trying for. So, I mean, from that perspective, I think it was good. And I actually think that the actress is good too, because, um, there's the line where, Lorca and Burnham kind of like pump her up and she says let's not keep the assholes waiting and then they kind of give her the look and she goes too much and it like that's a great read like I think that that kind of level is right where Tilly works well where she's kind of like she doesn't really get the social cues so she kind of blurts stuff out and then it's like oh wait that's not that's going too much that's where Tilly should lie is kind of in that like socially awkward area I mean, I guess that's kind of fair. Um, and I do think that part of the, I think you're right that a big part of the reason why I find her so annoying is because they take that sort of character trait and just dial it up to 11 most of the time. And because there are times when Tilly's awkwardness is like, it's okay, it's tolerable. But for the most part, I just feel like it's so overdone. And I don't think it's necessarily the acting no, I don't think it is because I think that she does have good reads sometimes. I think it's I, as much as I love Frakes, I think it might be the direction. Yeah, it could be. Enough about Tilly. We, we've we've gone on. We've ranted enough in some of our previous podcasts. So. <laughs> yeah, true. I feel like Tilly and and uh, Tilly and staff meetings. That seems to be the thing that really gets under our skin. Um, one thing that was kind of cool about this episode is they did they did tie back or tie into a few pieces of uh, of existing mirror universe lore. Uh, the one the first one that, that sort of is a major part of the episode is the USS Defiant, which is a callback to the the Enterprise mirror the uh, mirror universe from Star Trek Enterprise, which was which was pretty cool. And then there's also the Agonizer boots, which uh, were from the original series episode. Um, well, wait, did... wait a second. Wait a second, though, because the USS Defiant callback to the Enterprise episode Mirror Darkly, is it not a callback to the original series episode that we watched back in the very early days of uh, RTR, which was Atholian Web? So it's like a, a callback to a callback. Is, is that the same Defiant, though, right? It is, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, I, I was just making sure that was right. Yeah, so it's like a, it's like Inception-level callbacks here. <laughs> But um, did you like that they kind of, that you know, they're going to go to the Mirror Universe and they actually put in some effort to, to try to tie in some of the existing stuff? Yep, it was pretty good. And like you said, the Agonizer boost from the original series episode was, was good. I mean, I think that the actors probably love being in the Agonizer booths and pretending that they're getting... <laughs> 
you know? <laughs> How could you not? That's like the actor's dream. Yeah, it's true. I think they probably just put them in there and watch episodes of Discovery, and that's why they, they don't even need to act. <laughs> oh, Very little acting involved. We get this scene where uh, Burnham discovers that this old friend of or this old uh, you know shipmate of hers, Connor, that died on the Shenzhou, uh, was actually the captain of the Shenzhou in the Mirror Universe, and of course she gets sort of like you know guilty feeling about it because she you know of course blames herself for. The entire Klingon war. And then, of course, she has to face him again. Like how... <laughs> so we, we get the classic, you know, Burnham over-emotional scene. Yeah, so the weird thing about... So that Connor guy is actually in uh, the book, uh, The Enterprise War, which I reviewed a few months back. Um, and they really kind of build up his character and stuff. I don't really know... Like, I don't like the idea that, you know, he's the captain. I don't like the idea that... Tilly is the captain of the the uh, Discovery. I guess the idea, like you know, it's they're the opposites. But I just like this guy just seems like a random Joe Blow that got killed randomly in the first episode. He's not enough of a character to really make it a big reveal. I almost kind of feel like maybe like Burnham should have been the captain, and they'd be like Burnham versus Burnham or something. Like random Joe doesn't work for me. And also, I'm really against Burnham just killing this guy. In I know it's the Mirror Universe and everything else, but I mean, from a Starfleet perspective, I don't like that. And I think that it's kind of like he she's supposed to be facing her guilt, and the way that she deals with that is by murdering him. I don't know, man. That, to me, didn't sit well. Well, she's just playing the part, right? But again, this is... <laughs> well, yeah, but she's still from the R universe. Like, she still murdered this guy and killed... And then dragged his body onto the bridge like a dog bringing in, like, uh, you know, the old uh, bird carcass. Like, that's a bit extreme. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Burnham Burnham's always doing these crazy things that don't make any sense. Okay. <laughs> okay. I... Yeah, I don't like this. I also don't really like that they're trying to... They always try to make Burnham have a relationship. So in this one, she's in a relationship with Tyler, I guess. And so they kind of have like the makeout scene, but it just doesn't really work. Especially since they, at this stage, they have Burnham as kind of like this, you know, Vulcan-esque, non-emotional person. So it doesn't really play. And I just don't think it works at all. I think that the, the Burnham stuff here is pretty bad. Well, yeah, I, th I would say first and even second season, Burnham was, was I really can't it's really hard for me to get invested in that character because she's constantly going from like Vulcan stoicism to like bawling her eyes out over nothing. And it's, it's just so she's so inconsistent. It's kind of difficult to get invested in the character. Yeah. I, yeah, it doesn't get much better for Burnham sadly. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Like everything about this series and everything that they, they try to make us feel it just doesn't work. Like, I think we're supposed to admit like, wow, what a badass! Like she just killed that guy and dragged his body out. But for me, I'm sitting there like, Oh, this doesn't fit with what I think about for Starfleet. Like, I don't know. It doesn't fit with me, man. I, I just don't like any of this stuff, sadly. And it kills me because I love Star Trek and I really, really wanted this to be kind of the episode that turns it all around. But it's kind of like, you know, a little callback here, a little callback there. It's kind of interesting. But the, the main story, the main beef of it just doesn't really resonate with me. Well, and we, we are kind of still waiting for that episode for to turn the series around. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, anyways, I, I want to point out one thing that was pretty cool about this episode. So there's that scene where they beam from the Discovery to the Shenzhou. And I thought it was very cool the way that they're standing on the Discovery transporter room. And there's sort of like a wide shot of like the whole room. And then it kind of, there's like the flash of the transporter and then it switches to the Shenzhou, like transporter yeah, that was pretty room. Cool. I thought that was very cool. That was one, the one scene that it like sort of opened my eyes and I was like, holy cow, that was really cool. Yeah, the show looks great. I mean, and the, the directing was really well done other than that couple things that I didn't like. Um, but one of the other, one of the, see then immediately after they get to the Shenzo, Lorca like bangs his head on the the wall to bust himself open and it's so obviously like digital blood and it looks so <laughs> phony and so fake it's like they almost kind of wasted wasted it you know what i mean it's like wow look at this cool transporter scene guys whack whack on the head and it's like oh they had to like digitally put that in like it was resident evil 2 like i don't know that it's just like this show never can get any traction going Anytime they do any good thing, they immediately kill any good faith immediately after. Maybe it was in like Jason Isaac's contract that he was like not to wear any makeup. Maybe. Yeah, no fake So blood. they had to like digitally add the, the that wound to his head. Maybe. <laughs> Looked horrible. It's too bad. I mean, I'm sure if they maybe maybe they like wasted all their makeup money on those Klingons. I guess so. Great great job, guys. Those those Klingons <laughs> look awesome. We should talk about the scene where Tyler kills uh, Dr. Culber after Culber sort of does some of these, I guess, deeper scans on him because Tyler's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Something's going on with me. I don't know what's happening. And he, he figures out that he's been very heavily surgically altered. And then somehow that like wakes, like sets Tyler off and he snaps his neck and he just crumples in a heap. Yeah, so one thing that I kind of want to bring up, which was driving me crazy watching this, uh, you, you don't need to divulge any kind of uh, you know personal information or anything, but have you ever gone to the doctor or the dentist or any medical type thing and have the doctor just explain to you what is wrong basically in like the waiting room? <laughs> like, can you imagine a scenario where you were getting some horrible news about... Uh, you know, you've got some sort of uh, parasite inside of you and they're literally saying it when there's other people in beds around you and there's random nurses walking by and like just out in the open. Like, remember how um, Dr. Crusher had like that little office and when there was like some sort of, uh, you know, important thing that they needed to maybe discuss or talk about, they would go into the little office close the door, you know, shut the blinds and they would go over what horrible news needed to be discussed. Like, don't you think that that's a bit stupid? Like they didn't want to build a, a another set for the office. So he's just like literally talking to him in the middle of the, the, the medical bay. Well, no, it's obvious that it's obvious that they did it so that Stamets in his like, you know, induced whatever right. could be like the enemy is here right after it happens yeah like that's <laughs> i mean that's the only thing i can think of but like when Lorca and uh sorry when tyler and culver are talking the first time there's like people in the background like working and like folding sheets and stuff i would i would just kind of feel like i don't know I i've never had that happen man anytime that i've ever been at a doctor's office it's always been like in an office or in a room alone or something like 
Can you imagine if you were like, you're sitting in the waiting room and the doctor just comes out like, oh yeah, those hemorrhoids are going to need to get burned off, man. Like, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> Jesus, there's people sitting around here. Like, keep your voice down. I don't know. That bothered me. And then of course, the other thing that bothers me is that when they talked in every other scenario, there were people around, but then when he goes nuts and kills them, there's nobody around. It's completely empty. Uh, like that to me is just like too convenient, man. It is very convenient, yeah. And I thought it was just so sudden because, like, like it's not like Culber was like, "You are a Klingon agent," you know. He just like was like, "Well, you know, your your internal organs have been highly altered," and he just that that I guess was like the magic phrase to set him off. Yeah, I kind of wish there had been kind of like a code word that Lorel say to to get him back back going or something. I don't know. I think that's what was supposed to happen, but for whatever reason, it didn't work. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's... Yeah, I wasn't shocked either time. I was just like, oh, what a waste. Well, yeah, and it's not like Tyler was giving them information or anything. He was just there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's... It just it seems so pointless to me. And then he goes back to the he goes back to the bridge and he's like, oh, sorry for being late. And everybody kind of like looks at him like, oh. What a t- what a bad what a bad employee showing up late. It's like uh, your doctor is dead over there. Maybe you should like check the uh, hollow cams or whatever you've got on the ship. Like uh, the last thing I was gonna mention, uh, I thought the Shenzhou Bridge was very cool, and I don't understand why they saw fit to break like one of the one rule in star trek which is that the bridge goes on the top of the ship in the middle of the saucer like why did they have to be why did they have to do that yeah I, you know what i guess it's just like you know we've had how many series now where they that was the thing that they did i don't really mind that they put it on the bottom um i i think that the the, the super spiral cam that they use to to show the shenzu is is kind of lame when they do that but um i mean they probably could have came up with a reason if they really wanted to but um i think it's just kind of more of a shame that they didn't just use that as the ship just call it like star trek discovery but then if the shenzu was the main ship i kind of liked that ship a bit better um i like the way the bridge looked i kind of like the way the ship looked a bit more it's less blocky. Yeah, and the discovery, I hate that it's brown or bronze or whatever it is. It's kind of cool to see the Shenzhou back, but yeah, I, I definitely had a feeling like I, it didn't bother me, but I could see why you wouldn't like it. Yeah, it's such a great bridge. I don't know why they have to put it on the bottom, though, but oh well. That's me being a, being a stickler for tradition, I suppose. Let's talk a little bit about the casting characters. We already talked about Culber a little bit, but uh, I, I want to talk about how this was a really strong episode for him, and then, of course, he dies. I feel like they wanted to kill off somebody. Wilson Cruz is kind of like a bigger name. They probably thought, you know, it'll be shocking and, and he'll be out. I'm actually wondering if kind of like the LGBTQ or kind of pushed back a little bit when they killed off like one of the gay characters, uh, especially since they had done a really great job showing Culber and Stamets in like a healthy relationship, living on the ship together. You know, they were gay, but it was never really kind of thrown in your face or anything. It was just kind of taken as like, oh yeah, this is just the way it is in this century. It's completely accepted. And to kill one of them, I almost wonder if the people that are kind of in that community took it as a slight 
And then they were like, oh, oh no, 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 no. We're going to like bring him back. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then they went through this whole process of getting him back. I also don't think that when they did bring him back, he was ever as good. I think that he this was as good as he ever got. So for me, it's a big thumbs down. I really wish they would have just put him in a coma or beat him up or something. Or even if they did want to kill him, bring him back this episode or the next. Yeah, I actually read that there was um, they, they actually ran it by um, an organization that sort of advocates for L- LGBTQ. They actually sort of said, no, it's OK. And I think they were doing they sort of gave them the approval or or I don't know if approval is the right word, but they, they said, yeah, go ahead with it. But I think it was as under the impression that like they were going to bring him back somehow. I, I was really happy to get him back in season two, but. I, I don't get the sense that that was the case. I, I get the sense that they killed this guy and then later they were like, uh, let's bring him back. If you go back and watch season two when they do eventually get him back, there's no way that was the plan. Like, I, I'm sorry. There's just no writer in the world that would write something that convoluted on purpose. I just can't believe it. Well, I mean, the writers are not exactly the most skilled writers that we've ever had in Star Trek. So maybe that's just... The best that they could do. Anyways, we, um, I don't know if there's really a whole lot to say about Laurel or Connor because they're both in the episode for a pretty short period of time. Laurel, especially, there's really just that one scene. I don't know if you have any comments on either of those two guest characters. Laurel is probably my least favorite Star Trek character in any of the series. I think that the Klingons in Star Trek Discovery, if I could buy a dvd where somebody literally went through and just deleted those scenes i would probably buy it because um (laughs) i cannot stand the makeup i can't stand the way they look i can't stand all the retconning like remember there was the whole thing where they oh they're bald just because it's war times but not during non-war times but they couldn't explain it during like deep space nine and everything else I think the the episodes with Laurel, and there's one specifically in the second season. It's the one where I think she has the baby, and it's mostly just based around her and Tyler. That's the worst episode. That's the worst episode of television I think I've ever seen. And yeah, get her off the screen. Nothing against Mary Shifio. I think that she's a great actress. I've seen her in lots of other stuff, and I, I think that she is doing the best she can. But from a writing perspective from an art direction perspective, from a character perspective, like get off the screen. Wow, that's pretty uh, pretty, pretty scathing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, hopefully it's not your favorite character, Matt. Well, I, I'm not a big fan of all that Klingon stuff either. And I mean, Laurel's not, she's not a very compelling character, I don't think. I don't know. I think I can probably think of less annoying characters than... <laughs> Anyway, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Let's talk about Connor. I actually think the Connor character was really wasted. I would have actually liked to see him stick around a little bit. And again, they did a great job um, in the books and everything talking about him. And uh, he's like a big baseball fan. And he has like all this kind of interesting stuff about him. Um, It was nice to see him back here again. But then I feel like it gets cut short a little bit too quickly. Well, the one thing I would I was going to say about Connor is I liked the how they how the I don't know if it was the writing or the acting or the directing or maybe a little bit of all three, but he I thought that it was really cool how he had that sort of subtle like sneer to him, which I think was very fitting for the mirror universe. Um, that was one thing that I sort of noted when when he was on the screen is that. Um, he, he, it was really subtle, but he, it was there. You could tell that he was 
sort of the evil version of of the Connor that we already knew. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, one of the other things that I had read was that the actor didn't even know that he was going to be, like, called back for this role, and that he didn't even know that he was going to be the captain until he, like, showed up to costuming and they started putting on, like, the captain's uniform. So, um, good on him, man. That's probably not an easy thing to do, to come in and, you know, have to play this, like, captainly role. And in the Mirror Universe, they're supposed to be super strong. So, uh, yeah, I mean, excellent job on uh, on on that point. It's, it's again, it's, uh, it's another death and discovery that I just wish they didn't do. Yeah, no, yeah, I thought it was pretty well done. Uh, a few production notes. Now, there is a ton of stuff that you can read out there probably because this is just such a recent uh, show. Um, So, you know, there's a few things I thought would be fun to talk about, but there's a ton of other interesting and cool things that you can find on memory alpha or, or uh, even if you just watch the after treks that goes with this episode, there's a, there's a lot more that you can, you can see. Uh, Now this, Jonathan Frakes directed this, and this was the first time that he had directed since an episode of Voyager called Prototype, which aired in 1995. So, I mean, that's over 20 years since he had directed a Star Trek episode, which I thought was a bit surprising because I had it in my head that he had done maybe one or two Enterprise episodes, and I thought that he had directed Voyager a little later than 1995. Yeah, that does seem a bit off, but I mean, I guess now he has done uh, Picard, and he was on Lower Decks, and so, I mean, like, this guy just lives and breathes Star Trek, right? Well, and yeah, I mean, if, if, and for, you know, 10 of those years or whatever, there was no Star Trek on TV, so... Um, but he, you know, he'd been directing other things and I think he's actually, you know, he's, he's a pretty, he's become a pretty experienced director. True. And I guess he was in Enterprise, right? That's the other thing. And apparently, I mean, a lot of the stuff, if you go and look into production, I mean, you'll see that the cast and crew, like they just really liked working with him. Um, I think most of it because he's, he's got a reputation of being pretty organized and like knowing exactly what he wants. He has the nickname Two Takes Frakes. Nice. Uh, you know, so, but, um, and he also noted uh, in a, I think it was in an interview that um, he, he liked that the crew, like the, the actors already had sort of developed a bit of a camaraderie among them. And I guess that kind of reminded him of the well-known camaraderie that the cast of The Next Generation had. I guess he, he would have felt right at home, I guess. Yeah, and I would argue that so, the episodes that he directs are usually pretty decent. Like, I mean, from terms of directing, like, he's pretty solid. He knows how to get in, get out, and do it. He directed our favorite episode from season two, which was uh, New, New Eden. Eden yep. um, there was the fight scene between Burnham and Connor, uh, which I thought was pretty good uh, as far as fight scenes go. Yeah, I agree. I think it was good, but I didn't like the outcome. <laughs> you didn't like the end. Uh, that was a pretty challenging thing to do just because it was in the turbo lift. And I mean, it's such a small, confined area that I guess it was really tough for them to get the cameras in there for some of the shots because it's such a small space. And then you've got these two people that are supposed to be having a big fist fight. So that was, I, I thought it turned out pretty, pretty, pretty well, you know, in spite of those kinds of challenges of being in a really tight space yeah don't i thought that was great and i I like the uh, over the like i usually hate the camera setups in discovery but i did like that um like top view kind of shot i don't know that they used uh stunt people or whether the actors did it but it, it looked really cool 
uh, the, the actors themselves at least did some of it. And the reason I know that is because I read about a few mishaps. Uh, so there was two of them. Uh, the first one, uh, Burnham was supposed to, like, kick him in the, like, upper thigh area. Uh, but she missed and kicked him right in the... <laughs> Andrew, Andrew's gritting his teeth because he knows what's coming. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody knows what happened in that scenario. Yeah, she kicked him right in the right in the vulnerable spot between your legs if you're a man. Um, but then, I, you know, the actor who played Connor got a, a bit of revenge because there was a part of it. He was supposed to, like, throw a punch that was supposed to, like, miss her. But she, I guess, Sonequa Martin-Green didn't, like, dodge quickly enough and he ended up punching her right in the face. <laughs> That's why they make the big money, Matt. Yeah, but curiously, she was kind of like, she, she reacted in sort of a, 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 as if she had felt kind of a thrill from it because I guess she'd never been punched in the face before. Oh, okay. So, anyways, I've, yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty interesting reading about that the, the fight scene. The ISS Cooper, which is uh, the ship from the very beginning that sort of stepped in when the Vulcan ship attacked the Discovery, uh, it was supposed to be shown on the screen, but they ran out of time and, and weren't able to put the, the model, the CG model, together uh, quite in time. So they just didn't show it. Yeah, that's okay. It would have been nice to, to see another ship. I'm a bit of a yeah, ship but... ship nerd. I like the ships, but anyways, that's that's a shame. Uh, and then one thing that Mary Chieffo mentioned that I thought would have been really funny if they had included it, but I think it would have been a bit silly. She's <laughs> a little bit, maybe. She uh, she sort of imagined this funny scene that she could have added, where you know after Tyler had left the brig, like because she was supposed to like activate him or whatever, and it didn't work. Uh, she was supposed to sort of look at the fourth the camera and just say to the fourth wall, I hate Mondays. Yeah, I just don't know if it works for a Klingon. That's the thing. Well, do they even have days of the week on Kronos? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't make sense, right? No, I mean, that's something maybe you would see on Lower Decks, but not Discovery. Yeah. All right. Uh, was there any memorable scenes or any quotes that uh, stuck out with you in this episode? I mean, I guess I did like that Tilly line, which seems strange because I don't love the character, but I did like the let's not keep these assholes waiting. And then everybody looks at her and she goes, too much. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Um, not a lot of great writing here, sadly. So that didn't have much else. Yeah, for me, I think the light, the Lorca Culber scene is probably the one that stuck out to me the most because it was like it was really well acted, and I thought the tension was was pretty good, and the fight scene was pretty good. Um, as far as lines, I am also shockingly going to mention a Tilly line. Oh, not because I just thought it was a funny line. Uh, so there's that scene where they um, they meet up with the Shenjo, and uh, I forget what Connor said, but he I guess he expressed shock at like Burnham being alive, and he mm -hmm. didn't really say much. And and Tilly Tilly said something like, uh, "If you greeted me like that, I'd cut your tongue off and use it to lick my boots." Right. Yeah, that was pretty good too. Yeah, it was it was a good line. All right, uh, give me your final thoughts and then give me a rating for this episode out of five Terran Empire daggers. I swear that I like certain episodes of Star Trek Discovery, and I swear there are good episodes of Star Trek Discovery out there. We just seem to never pull them. This is too much of what I don't like about the show. Characters that are built up and killed off, characters that we don't like being jammed down our throats, uh, characters that uh, have 
murky motives and uncertainty, big, big reveals that are supposed to be shocking that land flat. This just was everything that I remember watching it the first time, which was just like, oh, we're just going to be doing the same thing now, but now with the shtick of being in the mirror universe, there doesn't seem to be any danger. Uh, they even mentioned like, oh, the Andorians and the Vulcans are teamed up. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, we're never mentioning it again. Uh, there's just so much about it This I don't like, and I really disliked Culber getting killed. I really disliked the Tyler stuff. I, I, I'm really struggling here, man. I'm going to give it one out of five uh terran empire daggers and it's literally just for like that fight scene was cool the show looks great and Lorca really saved it i feel like if you didn't have those Lorca scenes this would maybe be a zero okay i i'm kind of torn like i do think this is maybe one of the better episodes of the first season um i think there were a few things that were good um i thought that the Lorca culber scene was really good the fight scene was really good it's tough like this one it was tough to get through this one at times uh for me i definitely looked at my watch more than once to be like oh how much longer is this going on for but i think there was like enough good stuff for me that i that i liked that i i could maybe go as high as two terran empire daggers out of five um i mean overall it was not that great but i think there was enough that i did like you know the direction was good for the most part, there was a few little things that were kind of, you know, the spinning conference room scene that we don't, you know, that I don't really like. But uh, I think there was enough there that I'll give it two out of five um, Terran Empire Daggers. Mark it on your calendars, fans. Matt liked an episode of Star Trek Discovery more than me. I don't know that we're ever going to see that again, so we best <laughs> enjoy it while we can. <laughs> All right, I hear the red alert siren, which means it is time to reach deep into the Terran Empire helmet of episodes and grab a new one for Andrew, and he's going to tell me everything he can in one minute. Uh, Andrew, what uh, what are your hopes and dreams for uh, this draw? Uh, you know what? Give me another discovery because I feel like we need to kind of redeem ourselves, so that would be ideal. Okay, let's see what we got here. Um... Unfortunately, we are not going back to the Discovery quite yet. We will be back to the Delta Quadrant. Uh, we'll be looking at a Star Trek Voyager episode. It is from Season 6, Episode 5, and the title is Alice. I suspect it will have nothing to do with Wonderland, but um, who knows. I feel like I don't remember this one. All right, well, Andrew uh, gathers his thoughts and uh, writes furiously. Just a reminder to check us out on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter. As you know, we're on Holosuite Media now, the Holosuite Media Network. And uh, if you got some spare time between uh, listening to RTR, uh, head on over and check out some of the other uh, podcasts that you've uh, that we are available on the Holosuite Media Network. All right, Andrew looks like he's about ready. I just need to get 60 seconds on the clock. Andrew, are you ready? I think so. Okay, your time will begin now. So this is a Seven of Nine episode where Seven of Nine basically wakes up in this like Borg virtual world 
where everybody is a Borg living in different cubes all around the galaxy, but they've somehow regained their consciousness and they go to this like special world. Uh, in the world, Seven of Nine is known as like Alice and she has like a husband there and she lives a life. And uh, the Borg have somehow figured out like the Queen and everybody know that they're doing this and they want to shut it down because they don't want to have any insubordination. And so uh, it's kind of a mad dash for... Uh, Seven of Nine who's trying to kind of collect everybody together in order to kind of help each other in order to eventually uh, be able to go to this place permanently. She eventually has to decide to leave. She has to leave her husband of the past and everything like that. And they end up shutting it down while um, Janeway is captured and things like that. And that's what I remember. I swear this was a two-parter though, so I'm really worried. And your time is up. Um, I think you may be thinking of unimatrix one. Oh damn it but yes i am definitely thinking and i i was between or is it unimatrix zero this unimatrix zero is what it is totally is and she has a name but i don't think it's alice yeah i don't know what this one is then i feel like it might be a borg episode regardless but you seem pretty confident so what did you think this one was well isn't this the one where paris like comes across that like sh like ship and uh it like takes over his mind. There's like a, the yes. ship has like this yes, persona yeah. that like 100%. takes over his mind, and the the ship was named Alice. Yep, one hundred percent. That's the one I was thinking. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah, that's definitely what it is. But you know what? Regardless, it's been a while since we've had a switcheroo, and so I, uh, yeah, I completely forgot about that episode. But I think that you're right on the money. You'll have to wait two weeks' time to see if that is in fact the one, and uh, we will have to watch yeah star trek voyager alice all right thanks a lot for tuning in uh and yeah we'll be back in two weeks and we'll be talking about the star trek voyager episode alice this show is brought to you by hollow sweet media computer list other available hollow sweet media programs loading hollow sweet preview program for boldly go a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. It's too much effort and I'm busy. I gotta get this done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had stuff to do. He had logs to plant. He had a ship to take over. <laughs> he had an entire plot to uh, to fill out and make everyone think that he needed to have a trial for mutiny. <laughs> because that will distract everyone long enough for them to get to Talos 4. He's busier than Prince Humperdinck. Loading Sweet preview program for Starpod Trek, a podcast exploring Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. So we're seeing that the early Star Trek conventions were, were a nice balance between science fiction and real-world science. And that was cool, because the, because a lot of uh, Star Trek fans are interested in science. And, a lot of, and I mean, all of those um, science guests that were there probably were Star Trek fans. And, and they, they probably even said that, that they got into science because of their love of Star Trek. Loading Sweet preview program for The Vedic Assembly. A Deep Space Nine podcast. We don't know what that Cardassian technology is, but it could, yeah. Do we need to know? No, nah. we don't need to right, know. Just some yeah. bit of... Self-stealing, self-sealing stem bolts. Yes, it wants those self-sealing stem bolts. And... Somebody wants them. <laughs> because self-sealing, you guys. Yes. I mean, it's not just a regular stem bolt. <laughs>
I don't know why you don't get why these are so valuable. Okay. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.